On our announcements this morning, we highlighted several of the things that are going on. I hope you'll take an opportunity to look through the bulletin because for every one that I gave you, there are two more things that are happening. Um, community Bible studies are getting ready to start up. Um, and you'll notice in your bulletin that um, uh, there's going to be a men's community Bible study that's going to be happening, men. Um, I hope that uh, you'll be leading the way. And um, there's some information here uh, for you. And um, I'm really encouraged by this. Tom, are you here? Tom Childers is going to be heading this up. Tom's over here. Uh, guys, if, you, uh, if you're interested, grab Tom afterwards. I'm sure he'd love uh, more guys praying and involved in leadership. And um, this is uh, really good stuff. And um, I just sometimes I don't actually pinch myself, but I feel like I need to pinch myself. Um, how the Lord has led me here and my family here to a congregation that um, is as giving and serving and as involved in our community as you all are is a real joy pastorally. And, um, and I'm just really encouraged about where we're headed and what's going on and the way folks are involved. So thank you. Thanks for using your gifts and your talents. Um, and to get to serve with Marion um, is, a, is a real blessing week in and week out. And your elders and deacons, it's just, it's just awesome is really what it is. And I hope you're as excited and as encouraged as I am and we are. So we're in Genesis chapter 29 and 30 this morning, the second half of 29, the beginning of 30. (laughs) This is one of those passages where you look at it and your instinct is, skip it, skip it. Don't do this section. Uh, And um, all week, every time I would come back to it, I, I think yesterday, most of the day, I was just kind of walking around in a daze and I was thinking, am I really headed the direction I'm, I need to change this. And, and I've never, honestly, this is one of those few passages where this morning I'm here, I'm not terribly comfortable with where I'm at with this passage. Um, because what is the takeaway? Men don't marry two sisters at the same time, all right? <laughs> Men don't have four wives at the same time. Is that the takeaway? I mean, you know, let me bring that one to you this morning. Uh, I mean, if you're looking for like practical down and dirty kinds of stuff, like, you know, oh, I just can't wait. I've got my notebook out and I'm going to leave with just some amazing stuff this morning. I hope you're not disappointed, but um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what I think come out of this passage are three stereotypes. This is bad. Three stereotypes, one concerning us and two concerning the Lord, okay? And um, and so what I want to do is, opposed to reading the passage, I'm just going to kind of give you the general sense of the passage. So last week what we have was we have Jacob who has met up with Laban and he is uh, he's interested in one of Laban's daughters, the beautiful one, Rachel. And um, and you'll remember, obviously, he, uh, it's kind of Jacob meets another trickster, okay? And this guy uh, out-tricks him, and so he ends up with Leah, who's not quite as pretty. How's that for subtleness? Not quite as pretty. The, the Bible is very explicit, actually. 
She's not attractive. And that's just the way the Bible presents it. And, and he ends up with Leah for seven years worth of work. But he has such a heart for Rachel that he is willing to work another seven years for Laban in, in order to marry Rachel. And so he marries two sisters at the same time. Um, and listen, the Bible is not giving us... You know, the, this is one of those passages you, you're, you kind of run into and you're scratching your head. You're going, okay, hold on. Jacob is the son of promise. He's going to be married to four women in this text. So polygamy is on the table. What in the world do we do with that? Well, when you read 28 or 29 and 30, what you do with that is you run for the hills, okay? And, and the Bible often presents the story, and it's not giving us, it's not saying that this is the lifestyle that is okay. It's just giving us the picture. It's reporting the facts. And the facts are Jacob was married to these four, to Rachel and to Leah, and then to each of their maidservants, um, Bilhah and Zilpah. And so, um, so in the story, we're meeting up. And what is happening now, listen, when you read it, right, you're, you're getting the rapid fire succession of a series of names, 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 everywhere, names. And you're getting the series of names because these women are giving birth to children. And obviously there's a story behind the story and we're going to get to that. But, but you have to, you have to understand you're looking at about in, in those verses, Second half of 29, first part of 30, you're looking at about 34 plus years. Okay, so it's a long stretch of, of time here that, that we're talking about. And, um, and so what we have is we have Leah, who um, is not, gosh, how do you say it? Well, she's not really loved by Jacob. How's that? And um, and the Lord opens her womb. The Lord sees Leah's situation, and he he frankly um, loves her, and he identifies with her, and he opens her womb, and so she bears four children: Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And then um, Rachel uh, is struggling. You know, the infighting, the wrestling back and forth that is taking place in the story is. It really is numbing, and um, and and you just boy, every verse tells you that it's a bad deal. So Rachel, who is distressed, she just cannot bear it because her sister is having children and she's not. And in this day and in this age, having children was was the sign of you were blessed by God, and so she has the idea she's going to give her maidservant tradition um, allowed this practice. So your maidservant could have relations with your husband, and then that child would be considered yours. And so that's what she was. She sends Bilhah and, and Jacob, and, and they have relations. She bears for him two children. Um, and then, of course, that gives rise to Leah, seeing what's happening, and in her there's some angst, and so she's back in the picture, and she brings her maidservant, because she is not currently bearing children, and her maidservant, Zilpah, has two children, Gad and Asher. And then, 
We had the mandrake episode. Mandrake is a is a plant that um, grew. It was thought to um, provide fertility, and I don't know. Maybe you made a tea out of it, or you had um, mandrake skins with you know cheese and sour cream on. I don't know, but but um, Reuben is out in the field. He's working. He runs across a patch of mandrakes. Rachel begs Leah to have some of her son's mandrakes. She's desperate. Like, if I get my hands on some of those mandrakes, then I'll get pregnant. And so the swap is, okay, I'll give you some mandrakes, but you got to give me Jacob for a few nights. Are you, are you, this is a bad deal. And so the mandrakes come in. Leah gets Jacob. Leah has two more boys, Issachar and Zebulun. And then at the very end of our story, and in in, uh, here at the end of um, the section in chapter 30, um, Rachel gives birth to Joseph. It's a, it's a sidewinder. I mean, it's, it's an up and down story. And, and I want there to be three, I think, um, takeaways for us as you think about the passage. And, and the first one is a um, something of a, uh, a stereotype concerning us. And it's this. As God's blessings increase in our lives, our dependence on Him decreases. As the Lord's blessings increase in our lives, our dependence upon Him decreases. Now here's how I want you to see that in the story. I think in the story you can see it in Leah's life. Okay? So here is Leah. She, she's not the prettiest sister. She's really struggling with her identity and her self-esteem and all of those sorts of things, primarily because Jacob doesn't have the affection for her that he has for Rachel. And so Leah feels it. She knows it. She senses it. I mean, listen, her father slipped her in there, okay, unbeknownst to Jacob, in a really bad setup. And and because he knew Leah wasn't going to get picked. It just wasn't going to happen. And so he, he is conniving and all of these things. So Leah's, Leah's heart is downcast. But the Lord opens her womb. And so she begins to, she senses that the Lord has favor on her. And so when you look at the sons and you look at the way that it, uh, these first four um, births happen, um, you hear the names and then you get the uh, you get the little bit of detail about what is happening and why the name. Listen to the listen to the way it happens. Leah conceives, she bears a son, she calls his name Reuben, for she said, "The Lord, that's Yahweh." Okay, when you see that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you're looking at the divine name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh has surely seen my affliction. So you hear it in her statement, right? She, she believes, Lord, you, you are looking on me favorably. Then she conceived again and she bore a son and she said, because the Lord has heard what? That I am unloved. He has therefore given me this son also. 
Hey, wow, so Leah is awakening. The Lord loves me. He has favor on me. He's showing his kindness to me. She conceives again. She bears a son. Now this time the husband, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons and I will call him Levi. And then she conceived again. She bore a son and said, now I will praise Yahweh, the Lord, and I will name him Judah. So you sense in these first four births that her primary direction, with the exception of the third-born Levi, her primary direction is to the Lord. Lord, you are blessing me. And, and, and there's this, she's awakening to the, the hand of the Lord and her life. Now, this is a period, remember, a, a long, drawn-out period. After that, there is a decline in the sense that you get because of the names that she she gives. The next one is Gad. A troop comes. The next one is, I'm happy for the daughters who will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. And then Leah said, God has given me my wages because he has given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And then she said, now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. As you look at the tenor of Leah's life, the way that she named her children, listen. Gosh, I didn't ask for permission to talk about how Jody and I named our kids. Colin, Caitlin, Christopher, Cabri, Kylie. You detect any sort of a pattern there? We didn't go to the name book and go, okay, we're going to... We don't name our children the way that they named their children back then. We didn't do it, and most of you all probably didn't do it. They're family names and those sorts of things. But they named with meaning. Like they would give their child a name associated with the way they were feeling or with whatever was happening in a relationship with the Lord. So they were naming their children based on the circumstances of life or what they saw in the child or what they anticipated the Lord would do with the child. And so the naming pattern was uh, it was significantly different then than it is now but you'll notice in her naming there is a drift away from what the lord is doing towards what is happening internally with her so at the beginning at the outset when she has the four boys the inclination of her heart is lord you're blessing me thank you now she's got four boys she has some substance in her life but what is she missing Does Jacob love her anymore? No. He doesn't have any more inclination towards her. And and so what shows is, while the Lord blessed her, she moved away from that, and she, she in the comfort of that, she looks towards Jacob to meet the satisfaction that she hopes for in life. The substance, the meaning. She isn't finding her her you know, her identity in the Lord and in what He has done for her, she still wants to find her identity in her in her spouse. Listen, in order to be happy in life, you first must know about your relationship with the Lord. You mer- your your first identity has to be in the Lord. Then you can attach yourself to your spouse and to your children and and find some significance and have appropriate meaning there. But only in the context of a relationship with the Lord will it be as good as it can be. And so we tend to move away from the Lord. This is a, it's, a, it's sort of the natural inclination of our hearts. I, I want to 
take you to Deuteronomy chapter 6 for just a a moment, a, a passage we've talked about before, but I think it illustrates it. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses has the people, they're preparing to go in and take the land, and and there's a, there's a section there where he says, listen, as you go in to possess this land, which was synonymous with the Lord's blessing, as you go in to take this land, be careful, because you're going to inherit wells you didn't dig, and homes you didn't build, and vineyards you didn't plant. You're going to inherit houses that you didn't build, and walls that you didn't build. You're going to inherit amazing wealth. And he tells them, As you go in and you take possession of that land, be careful. What? That you don't forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Why? Because the inclination is away from the Lord and toward the blessing that he gives to us. Or towards that thing which we think will give us the greatest amount of satisfaction in our lives. And so you have to be, we have to be careful to guard against that because it is stereotypical of us as followers of the Lord that we will tend to drift away as the as the Lord's blessings increase our dependence upon him decreases in life Colin's not here <laughs> which doesn't mean he's necessarily fair game but I'm going to use a story because he posted it on Twitter okay <laughs> So back in the spring, early spring, um, you know, modern parents follow their children's activities via Twitter and Instagram. And so I, I look on Twitter one day, and Colin has a post, and it, and it says, essentially, as I head in to get my hair cut, I'm telling myself, in quotes, my identity is in Christ, close quote. As I head in to get my hair cut, my identity, I'm telling myself, my identity is in Christ. Now listen, if you're Colin or Sam, okay, getting your hair cut is a big deal. Because our hair is wild and we'll, it's crazy. We have, you know, when I go, I go to Hollywood's and Holly cuts my hair. And every time she just says, your hair is crazy. It's the craziest hair I've ever seen. And so here was my son in college going to get his hair cut, and he has my hair. He's going to get his hair cut, and you know what he was saying to himself? I'm going in here. I don't know who's going to cut it. I have no idea what it's going to look like, and so I better be safe and secure in what? Who I am. Because when I come out of here, it could be a train wreck. And so he told himself, and he was he was somewhat half-joking, but guess what? I had a conversation with him. About it. He wasn't just half joking. He really was telling himself, My identity is not in how I look, it's in who I am in Christ. Listen, as as his blessing, right? As we look good, as as the haircut goes exactly as it should, as as the makeup goes on, as the bodybuilding happens the way it should, as all of those things, you know, the golf swing is amazing, our fishing is impeccable, all of those things are in order, we'll move away from the Lord and towards that place for our satisfaction in life. It's the tendency of our hearts. Leah 
if you look at the names, seems to be moving away from the Lord and towards trying to find her satisfaction in, in a place where it isn't so good. And that was the love of her husband. Is the love of your husband or the love of your wife a bad thing? Absolutely not. Can your identity be bound up in it? It can be. Should it be? No. Not in the, not in the way um, that Leah was looking for satisfaction in life. If Jacob didn't love her the way he loved Rachel, her life wasn't complete. Now, let me give you two, two stereotypes concerning the Lord. Here's the first one. They'll go quickly. First, Yahweh loves to use broken pots for his glory. One of the themes that runs all the way through the Bible is that God uses broken vessels to advance his kingdom. Now, the Apostle Paul tells us why he does this. He does this because he knows our tendency to say, hey, look here, look at me. And, and he wants us, what? He wants us to look at him. He wants us to see that he is the one in control. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, we have this treasure that is the gospel. We have it in jars of clay. Why? To show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now let me ask you a question. In the ancient world, what were clay pots used for? You know? Well, here I'll give you a little, a little insider tip. They didn't have indoor plumbing. So that's the primary. They, it was used for refuse. Are you, are you tracking? It was used for refuse. The Apostle Paul uses that image. He says, listen, the gospel has been placed in clay pots to show that the all-surpassing power is of him and not of us. He is the one, he is the one at work. And there's two parts to that, right? There's who we are. We're sinners saved by grace. But he chooses to use us, right? So he shows, he shows grace and mercy to us and he uses us for his glory. But it's all of him. It's his power. One author puts it this way. We are prone to make faith a virtue. So this author says, faith is not a virtue. It's a gift. Look, when you take faith and you make it a virtue, then what you're doing is you're saying, hey, look at me. Look at my faith. Look at what I've done. Look at this which I'm cultivating in my life and cultivated in your life. You know what? It doesn't work that way because faith is a gift. God is the one who gives it. Once you have it, can you cultivate it? Yes, but it comes from him. And so it's not a virtue. It's a gift. And so we have to, right, that's how he's using us for his glory, because he's gifting us. He's showing mercy to us, and he gives us grace. If faith is a virtue, then you have every right to be proud of who you are and where you are and where you are at with the Lord. And you have every right to expect it of those around you, that they would cultivate the same sort of faith that you're cultivating. The only problem is you can't. You can't manufacture it and you can't produce it because the Lord is the one that gives it to us. And so the first stereotype here in this passage is that the Lord loves to use broken pots for his glory. He's using Jacob in the story. We used to have 
in Louisville, um, there was an elder and his wife. And um, pastors don't tend to have a lot of confidants. We don't have a lot of people that, like, you know, it just it just doesn't it just it's hard. It doesn't work that way. But this this couple, it was Beth and Charlie McCool. They were kind of like that. And so they would invite me over um, on Sunday evenings. I would walk over to their house, and they they had a upstairs porch with a balcony on it. And we would sit on a, some swings up there, and we would just talk. And um, and I remember going over there, and one of their favorite sayings was, they, they would just we, something we would be talking about, and they would always say, "Well, it's just a great big mess, isn't it? It's just a great big mess." Look, when you look at Jacob's life, it's just a great big mess, isn't it? But you know what? The Lord chooses to use great big messes for His glory. And you may say to yourself, you know, I'm in bad shape, Pastor, and I, I mean, I've had a lot happen in my life, and I, this and that and the other. Mm, yeah? Come on. The Lord will use you for His kingdom work and for His glory. Because he specializes in using broken pots for his glory. It highlights him and not us. You know, he tells Israel in Deuteronomy 7 7, I didn't choose you because you were more numerous. I chose you because I chose you, because I love you. He says, You were nothing, Israel, but I set my love on you. I made you something. Here's the second one Yahweh loves. He loves to bring glory out of chaos. He loves to bring glory out of chaos. Now, to say that the story before us is chaotic is an understatement. But I want you to notice in the story that the last birth that happens there at the end of our section in in chapter 30 is the story of Joseph. And Joseph's life at the end of Genesis is going to provide kind of this motif for us that God brings glory out of chaos. Because his story, it's the perfect capstone for this stereotype, if you will, for this truth. Because at the very end of his life, and and you're going to see uh, Joseph's life full of just all sorts of mistreatment and maltreatment and ups and downs and ins and outs, and at the very end of it, as he looks at his brothers who sold him into slavery and all of the terrible things that happened, Joseph looks at them and says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God specializes in bringing glory out of chaotic statements. The Apostle Paul picks it up in Romans 8.28 when he says that God is working together. He, he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And you go, you know, how can that be? How can there, the storms of life and the turmoil, how can God take all of that and bring good out of it? And you know what? I don't know, but he does time and time again. And of course, the most amazing story of God bringing His glory out of chaos is the story of Jesus. I mean, here is the Savior of the universe who comes down. He lives a perfect life. He's, he shows love and mercy and grace. And He's kind and He's gentle. And He doesn't speak ill of anyone. And He, he doesn't gossip. He doesn't lie. He doesn't steal. He doesn't cheat. He is the perfect Son of God. And He's crucified. 
And out of His crucifixion and His death and His burial, the Lord brings salvation for all mankind. See, that's glory out of chaos. And He does it over and over. And in this story, guess what? That's what He's doing. Because think about it. Even with Jacob and the four wives, multiple children, constant infighting, what is he doing? He's fulfilling his promise. You see, that's the story behind the story. The story behind the story is that God had promised to make Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the fathers of a great nation. And you say, well, 12 sons isn't really a great nation. Well, it's bigger nation than one son or two. It's the beginning. He's setting the stage because from these children will come not just his people, but will come the Savior. And And as if to just say, hey, I've got you covered. And yeah, I can I can do just about anything I want to do with just about any kind of person. From Leah, the unloved, not so beautiful one comes Judah. And from Judah comes a faithful Savior. Say, yeah, but my life's pretty chaotic. Four wives? Is your, if, is your life, maybe you can ask yourself some, or next time you think things are really bad and it's a bad storm, say, yeah, but it's not a four wives storm. chaos of Genesis 29 and 30 gives rise to the Lord doing amazing things. Listen, here's the reality. The reality is we're all broken, right? And and for Him to use us for His kingdom, we must be available. And it begins with humility. It begins with us acknowledging our sin. This morning in our Sunday school class, we went through our vows, membership vows. And the first membership vow, that vow which every person who is going to join our church has to take is, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. And you want to know where your usefulness begins in the kingdom? I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. That's where it begins. That's where it begins for every single one of us. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. And every person who's walked through the doors this morning and is sitting here, that is, if you haven't made it, That is the beginning of your confession. And if you have made it, isn't it your ongoing confession? That I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. Absolutely. So this morning I want you to leave knowing, first, God loves to use clay pots for His glory. He loves to bring His glory out of chaotic Situations, And he does it over and over again in Scripture. And then I want you to remember and be reminded in your own lives uh, that um, the tendency will be for you to move away from God in the midst of your blessing. It's, your great, it's probably our greatest challenge is to cultivate a heart for the Lord in the midst of his blessing in our lives. And seek to work back towards Him, even when things are good.
Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love and for your mercy. This morning, for a difficult passage, we even give you praise. And Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see you at work. We would move towards you even in the blessing of life and in the distress of life. Father, we would continue in all circumstances as the Apostle Paul encouraged us to seek you with joy and to cultivate a passion and a longing and a desire for you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.